Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. So grab your Bible, grab it, open it to 2 Corinthians. We're going to hit a couple different spots. I even have a spot in 1 Corinthians, but um, just get your finger ready, okay? And let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the, that we get to look into it. Uh, more importantly, that it looks into us and that it calls us out. That the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. That it works on us. It does something that is divine. It brings power. It brings freedom. It brings conviction. And Lord, I thank you that we have it. We'd be lost without your word. Help it to just speak. Help me to get out of the way. Um, take over, Lord. Your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so a lot of smart people, scholars, theologians, guys that study this type of stuff, say that uh, 2 Corinthians, I'm just going to kind of read here from my notes on this because I don't want to mess it up. Paul wrote several letters to the believers in Corinth, two of which are included in the Bible, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Um, his second letter to them is, is our book of 1 Corinthians. So that, there's actually a missing letter. If you're, if you're tracking with Bible stuff, we have 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. There's a missing letter out there for the, the beginning. So 1 Corinthians is actually a 2 Corinthians letter. Wow, that's confusing. Uh, his third letter is lost, they believe. There might even be another one in there. That's the, there's some debate among that. His third letter is lost, so, and his fourth letter is our, is our book of 2 Corinthians. So if you've been reading 2 Corinthians, that's actually uh, believed to be Paul's fourth letter to this group of people, this church. Um, and then, and this is kind of cool, 2 Corinthians was written less than a year after 1 Corinthians. Sometimes when I read the Bible, I think there's a long gap or whatever, but really, if you read 1 Corinthians and then you read 2 Corinthians, they're really close together, I mean, within a year, uh, give or take. Um, so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to deal with the divisions in the church. I talked about that last month. I actually had the opportunity to kind of take us through some of the, the heartbeat behind 1 Corinthians, which I really enjoyed. Um, so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to deal with the divisions in the church. Uh, when his advice was not taking, <laughs> or taken, their problems weren't solved, Paul visited Corinth a second time. This visit was painful. This is, a, this is part of the conversation you'll see today. This visit was very painful for both Paul and the Corinthians. Okay, remember that, make a note. He then planned a third visit, but delayed it and wrote 2 Corinthians instead. He wanted to come to him, he couldn't, so he wrote this letter that we're looking into today, 2 Corinthians. Um, and then Paul actually did visit the Corinthians about a year or so after this letter, and that's about all we know up to this point. I don't know how many other times he went, but I think he got arrested and put in prison, so he probably wasn't able to go. Anyway, so out of 2 Corinthians, there's... There's four points today that I wanted to like kind of, as I sifted through and prayed through, that I think kind of rose to the top that I really want to talk about and maybe even speak to, and hopefully they'll speak to you and challenge you as they did me. So first off is Paul's love. Paul's love. You got to pay attention to this. It's evident. It's insane. It's beautiful. And it's challenging. So I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 with me first. I'm going to set the foundation of his letters, of his heart. 
And I, I read this last month, too, with it. It's just, you got to hear it. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 14 through 20. Paul says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you, then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, as, remind, as to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some of you are arrogant as though I were not coming, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. I will find out not the talk of those arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God not, is, does not consist in talk of power. Um, what do you wish? Shall I come to you in a rod of love and justice? I think I might be reading the wrong part there. 1 Corinthians 4, 4. Like, I wrote some of this this morning, but anyways, we'll just move on, okay? <laughs> I'm like, is this making any sense to anybody else? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so he, you're right. I overread it. Jack, Jack, you said yes, thank you. you. I overread, so I'm like, I got lost in my head, but he said, he basically saying I'm a father, okay? You get that? We're picking up what Jeremiah's putting down. <laughs> Uh, so he loves them like a father. That's what I want you to see here and take away from that. All right, flip over now to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians, okay, hopefully we got this one marked well. I did a lot of work on this, guys. Maybe that's, that's the part. Too much work, too much stress. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 4. This is, yeah, this is actually what my brain was actually reading when I was reading the other one. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. There it is. He referenced what I talked about, the missing letter. There's this, there's this encounter with Paul in Corinth that we don't have a lot, but it was painful. So it happened. So this is what he's addressing. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did so that when I, I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should, who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, and to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. You see that? I mean, I really just take a, take, look, take a look back at four. For I wrote to you out of much affliction anguish of heart and many tears. This is not a man that flippantly just wrote letters. This is not a man that wanted to crush the spirit of the Corinthians. This is not a man that just wanted to show how smart he was or put a bunch of burdens on these people. This is not. And, and this is a man that wanted to love them well, guide them well, love them like a father, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you, okay? All right, now flip over to 2 Corinthians 7. Just, want to, just kind of want to make my point here. 2 Corinthians 7, 2 Corinthians 7, look at verse 2 through 4. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that, that you are in our hearts. There it is. You are in my heart, our hearts, to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. 
Okay, clearly, and if you read the whole letter, you'll see that, that these people were having a hard time. They were almost doubting who Paul is. They were doubting the love of Paul. They were doubting, you know, they had these false apostles, super apostles. You'll read that in there. And they're coming and they're speaking. If Paul so this, why does he say such hard things? If Paul loves you so much, why does he say such? Why is he writing these letters that have so much weight, so much difficulty, so much hard things in them? But Paul actually loved this church so much. Paul says here that he took joy and even pride in this group of people, okay? So I want to talk about, before I go too far, I want to talk, take it from Corinthians to cobblestone. And I want to talk as an elder to you guys. Because I've, I, I, a couple years ago, I stepped a little, I was an elder prior for about five or six years now, I've been an elder. A couple years ago, I stepped into more uh, of a role that I work with the staff and the elders. We had a cheesy name called Elder Liaison, but either way, I stepped up a little bit more, okay? And so what I have seen in the last two years, if I'm honest, in Cobblestone, is beautiful. We've lost wonderful people. And you're like, that's beautiful? Yes. No. (laughs) But 2020 rocked us. 2020 hit us hard. We lost 100 giving units, according to what I'm giving units, right? I hate ever referring to anybody as a giving unit, but when you say 100 people, 100 families, we, uh, we were hurting. We were broken. We lost a ton of volunteers. And there was even conversation inside the elders that what we do, is this time to pull the plug or do we press on? And by God's grace and God's wisdom, we've pressed on. And guys, I just want to say thank you to you guys. There he goes, right? Where's the timer, Josh? Not very long. There's a timer how long I go before I start crying. But we, as elders, we love you guys. I want you to feel that. Paul wanted the Corinthians to feel love. There's something supernatural about connecting elders and overseers to the body. It's not supposed to be natural. It's a God-given gift. And it wrecks you. It haunts you. Andrew and I were talking about it this week. Knowing that I was going to preach, I couldn't sleep. I, I had what he had the week before where I wake up at 4.30 in the morning. God hates sleep, I guess. I don't know. And I would wake up at 4.30 in the morning and it was almost like, it was almost like something just, just in my ear saying, pray, pray for these people. Pray for these people. You, you just can't preach a sermon. It's not, it's not what they need. They need us praying. They need us waking up early and sacrificing, laying our lives down as Paul did for his church. And I'm by no means saying I'm Paul. Please don't read that, except for the crying part. Paul and I cry a lot. It was a crying ministry going on. Anyways, so last week, Andrew alluded to it a little bit with testimony. Last week was the first time, I think, in, in my, my ministry career, which is nearly 20 years long, um, in big church like this style, probably 10 years. I've never seen anything like that. And what I'm talking about is we set up communion tables. Andrew said, hey, guys, just come up, examine yourself, confess something, get something to pray for. Just be honest with us. And we had elders and elders' wives and so on and so forth up here. And people came, and an hour went by. An hour literally went by, and we were, we were up here. The reason I think Craddock and myself stood up is because it changed us, because we got to pray for you guys. It was beautiful. It was, it was a lot, but it was, it was awesome. And you guys came, and you confessed, and you got prayer, 
and you talked about the things that you're going through and you let us pray and we broke bread together. And it felt like for a moment, like this is what Jesus died for. This is church. This is what he's designed for us to take part in. So thank you. Thank you for participating in that. Thank you for being patient. If it was your first time, I'm sorry. You're like, we don't do that every week. But, but, but if God wants us to, we will. That makes everybody nervous, right? Don't worry. He wants us to preach and teach. He likes that. But, what, but, but thank you, guys. We are seeing things that we've never seen. We've seen baptisms. You guys have been a part of it. So many of you will start baptizing one. Next thing you know, four or five people feel the Spirit leading them to say, get baptized now, and they come up. And we, we've even created, like, like, there's drawers and stuff back there where there's extra clothes. Not to say that's going to happen every time, but it does happen. The Lord's got his hand on this church. And when the Lord's got his hand on his church, he has a tendency to, to write things the way he wants to write things, to change things the way he wants to change things. And you're a part of that, and I'm a part of that, and we don't want to mess that up. Look, we don't want to be over here where we're just like, we have no plans, no schedule. But we also don't want to be over here where we're like, God, we got too busy of a schedule. Please don't show up. We want to be right in the middle. We, have a, we, we study, we teach, we plan, we pray. But then if God wants to call an audible, he can, right? So I just want to say thank you for last week. Thank you for your patience if it offended you. Thank you for your kindness. Guys, thank you for membership. Not everybody loves membership. I was pretty much anti-membership for about 20 years of, well, yeah, probably up until I was like 30. And I was like, I don't believe in membership. Now that I'm an elder on the other side, there's so much more to membership than what it, what it says. I know it's not necessarily biblical, but accountability, being connected, having someone over you, having oversight is biblical. And I could talk about it for a long time. You need that. I need it. So, so, and, and for us, we want the right people working with the right people, uh, knowing what you believe, knowing your heart. So membership matters. It just does. And so for some of you, you are, you've, you've signed up and you've become a member. And thank you. Thank you. You've taken the classes. You've made the effort. John said, I think last week, the membership, he was supposed to have like four and ended up having 10. And I say, praise God and thank you, church, for that. That's you buying in. That's you saying, this is my church. I want to be a part of this group. And we love it and we thank you for it. Connect groups are a big deal here. This is not enough. This just isn't enough. Coming on a Sunday, getting a shot in your arm, listen to me, listen to Andrew, listen to preaching elders, whatever it is, you, it's not enough. So connect groups, some of you are buying in. Some of you still need to. You want to you connect. We want to know you. We want the people, the right people that we have vetted as elders over you. Connect, because I can't know everybody in this room, and boy, I want to, and I try, and I forget your names at least 50 times. So please forgive Jeremy. I'm telling you, and I love, I'm a people person, so I, I have a high capacity for people, right? And I love you, but I can't know you, so get connected. And if you have, thank you. That's what I want you to hear. We are grateful. Volunteers, guys. We have so many people making things happen. Family ministry takes people back there. Youth ministry takes people. Worship, volunteers, people giving their time, their energy. Thank you. Givers, goers, servants. You guys write checks, and, and I actually like to see our giving every, every month or every week, and I thank you for that. It takes money to run this show. It takes money to, 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 to build the body of Christ. And thank you. I mean it. For just sometimes it's just you just need to hear thank you. Whether you whether you gave a dollar or a prayer, thank you. You matter. And we see you. And we love you. And we're glad you're here and you're, we're glad you're a part of what we're doing. 
we do feel supported and encouraged. There was a time when I was an elder before 2020, if I was honest, I didn't feel very supported and I didn't feel very encouraged. And maybe there was some blame as elders for some of that, clearly. But we didn't. We were under attack. We were getting emails right and left. How bad we were, how wrong we were. But Andrew preached a, a really, really tough message a few weeks ago in Romans, and he had the most encouragement he's ever had from this church, from you guys. And that was you just saying, hey, listen, we see you. We're for that. We stand for truth in this church. And can I say thank you? Thank you, guys. It's beautiful to see this. So I want you to feel loved. I want you to feel encouraged. Now, I, I'm going to say this because I buttered you all up, and then I'm just going to drop the elbow. Oh, man, if you just want to leave now and feel good about your week and day, go ahead. If you want to feel the hammer, it's coming. No. <laughs> but I, 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 I put this in there, and this is what I believe when I think of Jesus, when I think of churches, when I think of leadership. And, I, and honestly, I believe you guys believe this too. Real love, real Jesus love is always married to truth. His truth is always married to his love. What you're going to see in some of this text, what the false apostles tried to do is undercut Paul and say, if he really loved you, why would he say such hard things? And there's a movement right now. There's a lot of churches that say they love Jesus and they don't want to call out anything. And that's not real love. That's not God love. Real love is always married to truth. And real truth in Christ is always married to love. Because there are churches that just, they pump truth like it's their job. Right, truth, 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 truth. But no love, right? That was a, that was a truth gun. You gotta be careful with truth guns. Truth guns without love guns are, you, you just, and there's churches that do that, man. We do the truth. But nobody feels loved. So Paul had this ability to lead people and love them well and correct them well. And I want that. That's what I started praying, and I'm going to continue to pray as an elder of this church for our other elders, that we can love like that. That we love you so much, if we see something that's off, we, we were like, ignore it. No, I love them too much. I got to talk about it. That's what we want, okay? So that being said, the next point in 2 Corinthians, it's clear that I, I want to talk about, is repentance, repentance, good old repentance. Turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians, well, we're already there, 2 Corinthians 7, just, just go over to, to verse 8, and let's read that and talk about it. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, there's this letter, this tough word that he gave to these wonderful people, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, there's a battle right there. If you've never preached, if you've never taught or led, and most of you have in some capacity, even as parents we do this, don't we? You know, was I too hard on them? Did I say the right thing? Maybe that was too hard. I kind of regret that I said that. Should I have said that? Well, right? Tell me we don't all do that to some degree. And that's what Paul's wrestling with here. Was I too hard on these people that I love? Did I come off too hard? I do not regret it. Then he kind of straightens his thinking out. Though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you. I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, 
but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. There's a beautiful picture here of, of, of godly leadership and what I believe the Lord Jesus wants in, in, in his churches, in his elders, in his leadership, the, that that kind of heart, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. So we get up here and we say some tough things, don't we? We just do. This is the type of church you're in and praise God for that. We say tough things and our, I was like, man, I hope I wasn't too hard on him. I hope, I've said that to Heather. Was, Did that sound too mean, too harsh? I don't want to do but we really want you to feel a godly grief, okay? We really want that because that's part of what happens. With, so look at verse 10. For godly grief, or hearing something tough hits you hard, you're like, ah, that hurts my feelings. I'm a little, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. That leads to salvation. There's good fruit coming from godly grief. Without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Okay? For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So he says these tough things, they get godly grief, and they start to change, and this is what he sees right here, and he, he points out. For you see what earnestness. Earnestness means sincere, intense conviction. You should want that. I should want that. When we read the Bible or listen to preachers, we should feel and want to feel loved. But the other thing is we should want, convict me. I don't want, I mean, Dr. Craddock is, is I, I just went to Harrison or uh, Oxford Health and Wellness, right? It's a shout out. I'm getting a little royalties from this. No, I'm not. But I go in the, and they tell me all sorts of cool things. They show me my back. It's in not the best place. It's kind of falling apart, but they didn't just, they just didn't sugarcoat it and say, hey, just keep doing what you're doing. It's working. You're going to literally not be able to walk if you keep doing what you're doing. They, as doctors, had to tell me the truth, and, and it, it, it changes me. So now, all right, I got to go get this pulled out. I got to get this worked on, and because I don't want to live that way. I don't want that pain, and, and we have a tendency to have this in our finances, in our health, everything. I mean, don't, don't, don't go to people to sugarcoat it. Tell me the truth because truth changes me. But somewhere along the line, Christianity seemed to be really weak and cowardless, and we just want to pat everybody on the back, give a lot of self-help. You're great. You're wonderful. You got it. Rather than getting in here and saying, you need to straighten this up because God is good and you got to change, and fruit that you're producing needs to be godly. Holy, live holy. Oh, how dare we? So we need this. This is what Paul said. This is orthodox Christianity at its core. This is what God desires for us and you and me. And we want this. I want this. It causes you good preaching, good teaching, good leading, good people around. It should cause you to be convicted. Conviction should lead you to repentance. And this is not a one-time deal. Of course you repent and be born again. But repentance is a lifestyle. Repentance is an ongoing thing that God has called you into. Because you have a flesh, and I have a flesh. And I don't know about you guys, but I had to repent this week. And I'm guessing many of us have to repent daily, right? It's a daily thing. And a daily walk of repentance is okay. You need that. I need that because God is good and we want to fulfill his purposes. We want to live like he wants us to, okay? And he says, eagerness to clear yourselves with indignation or fire. fire. They were eager. 
what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. I think that, like, man, if you hear a tough message that goes against how you're living and you can back it up with Scripture and you know it's right, are you the type of person that is quick to repent or do you drag your feet to repentance? Or do you ignore it and find another church, find another book, find another podcast, find another YouTube guy that's going to tell you you're good? This is the danger of this stuff, okay? Find the Bible, stand on that stuff. All right, so... Paul's genuine love for, as a father brought weighty corrective letters, and this caused him to repent. Now, I wanted to say a couple things under this, and we'll move on. God's love comes in biblical correction, teaching, preaching, with hope for repentance. God's love does and always will call you to repentance. I said those two things. Now, listen, this is also a little take-home. As Christ's followers, which are many of you in here, you love Jesus, you are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't just for elders and leaders and speakers and those guys. As many of you, you will have it many times, you have to say things that will cause godly grief to your circle, to your family, to your friends. Look at Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Look at Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law. There's something in there about you calling people out in your life. And, 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 and when you do, anybody ever cause godly grief in a family member? Raise your hand. Friend, right? Good, you're doing the work. Because it happens. It happens. Here's the thing, and this is going to put a little weight on some of you. Some of you are tasked with, and you don't like it. I'm not confrontational, and I don't want to say it, and I just want to let them live their life, but they're confessing Jesus, my neighbor, my friend, my Bible study, like, like this girl, okay, we'll just use a girl. She comes to you, and she says, hey, listen, can I, I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm having sex with my boyfriend, and I love God, and we're good, and what do you do? You, what do you do? You're a friend. You're not just some stranger at Walmart. That'd be a weird conversation. <laughs> But it's your circle, and she's, she's in your group. What do you do, Christian? I hope that you start to feel something inside of you that says, I got to tell her. I got to warn her. I got to do it gently. I got to be careful. I got to be soft about it. But make no mistake about it, I got to do it. And when we get the body of Christ doing this with each other, calling each other, and you could say, and, and make no mistake about it, Heather and I have had to live this out. And there are people that say, thank you for telling me. Thank you for warning me. Thank you. Others don't. And you just do the best you can with this. But some of you have to start understanding that your relationships are, uh, God is asking you to speak truth and sit down and confront things and call people out and, and, and in a loving way. I have a friend in a business decision right now that he's been working on this with somebody that, that he's working with. And he, ha- he, he really told me this week, he said, I can't just let it go. That other guy's a Christian. I can't just let it go. I have to stand my ground and call him to righteousness. That's what this is. You, he, he, his heart is repentance for that person. His heart is godly grief. You're not right in your thinking. You're not right in your understanding. You're not right in your Bible understand here. And we have to get this more in our hearts and do it right because it can cause all sorts of problems in the wrong heart. Heather, yesterday, yesterday, my wife, I'm out writing this message on the porch. I come in. You can just see her. She's just, the Holy Spirit's all over her. She's almost shaking. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? She's got some family drama. She just had the, the word of the day. Not, yeah, not, not our family. We never have drama in ours. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's not get that going out there. 
We're perfect. No, no, it's, it's her family from Ohio. And <laughs> heathens. No. <laughs> no, there's a lot of Christians there. That's what I'm getting at. And the word of the day, right, comes through the Bible. The verse of the day, and I told her, well, you got to be careful, verses of the day. Verses of the day, you read it, you're like, ah! She gets the verse of the day, it talks about this very thing, and so she ends up uh, basically yeah, texting a big, beautiful, wonderful text to her family and, and calls it, calling out some of the things that they're in or the thinking for the Christians. Like, you're wrong here. You need to change this. And she did it beautifully. She did it humbly. She did it with, and then we prayed over it, and she sent it. Now, we don't know, I mean, but, the, but, but I'm proud of her because she was doing what the Lord has asked her to do. And I, our hope is that brings godly grief, which would bring repentance, which would bring reconciliation, which would bring the family back together. See what I'm saying? That's what I'm trying to get at. It, and you are and I am at certain times tasked with this, okay? All right, got to keep moving on. Number three, number three point is being correctable, being correctable. Um, you see this in here. I think this was a lot of the, the ups and downs of the super apostles. They, they were probably saying all sorts of nonsense about the Corinthians being so wonderful. Paul's saying, I'm trying to straighten them out. Love you. You are wonderful, but you need straightened out. Okay? And we all need that. So a repentant spirit that we just talked about will actually desire correction. When we really are in love with Jesus and desire all that he has for us, we go places where we get correction. Change the way I think. Change the way I think. Change the way I think. Change the way I understand. Change the way I read the Bible. Help me to understand it and write. Write, write you know, style and hermeneutics and all that stuff. I'm, I'm kind of upside down. I learned a whole bunch of stuff when I was a kid. Good stuff. Learned a lot about loving Jesus, but I really didn't learn how to read the Bible quite right. Now I'm on the other side, kind of like, well, yeah, I still love all that other stuff, but let's read the Bible right. So this is me tackling something that I felt, feel very uncomfortable with, so bear with me. If I, if I lose you in this, I'm sorry, but I got to obey. I just do. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10 will be this text here. So he says, and it's, it, it, I've misquoted this or at least misunderstood it, does it produce bad fruit? And if you've preached it or believed it the way that I used to think of it uh, a week ago... <laughs> I, I really studied this, and I thought, I even told Heather, I said, I just viewed this wrong, I guess. So, anyways, it wasn't like producing bad fruit, or I wouldn't even put it under, because there's some truth to it. Just get, get on with it, Jeremiah. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 through 6, okay? And we're going we're gonna to unpack some of this, and we're going to use John Piper's help. So anytime I say that, we're, whoo. All right, 10, 1 through 6. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away. With his letters and so on, here we are, same theme all the way through the scriptures of Corinthians. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. See, there's an undertone, there's an attack on his apostolic leadership there's attack on who he was, who he is. He's the father. He's the spiritual father of these people. And this, this false apostles that you see elsewhere in Scripture, these guys are trying to tear down what Paul built, what Paul, through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, established. And so he, he is fighting for his family here. So he says, For though we walk in flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Okay? 
For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds or fortresses. Uh, the, uh, and we're going we're gonna to spend some time on verse 4, so we'll come back. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Okay, we're going to just stop there because, and this is not an exhaustive study on this text, so don't email me. I'm going to do the best I can unpacking this. But I think there's more here than I had thought um, first off, I've always read that as a command on what I do with me. I kind of just looked at it like, oh, I need to rest my thoughts. Oh, I need to, to deal with me. My weapons or warfare are divine and destroy strongholds in my mind. And I've actually always viewed it that I probably preached it that way. No, I know I've preached it that way. Um, but it's not what he's talking about. It's just not. It has some merit for sure because we also know the mind and the, the, the you know, Ephesians talks about we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities and powers. There is some truth to this. So don't, my charismatic friends, don't freak out, okay? But listen, John Piper helped me with some of this. Listen, this is not a command. It's what Paul is going to do in and with the Corinthians. He will destroy their arguments, their lofty opinions, raised against the knowledge of God that he preached to them. He will take their thoughts, their captive to obey Christ. This is, this is how you got to look at it. This was not, you do this. This is what I'm going to do when I show up. This is what Paul's saying. I'm going to do this when I show up. He, his result is this. Then, then they will become obedient to his teaching, which is his heart, and apostolic authority in Christ. They will stop questioning who he is and what he said and how he's led them. That's actually what's under attack. That's the argument. That's the fortress. That's what he's trying to tear down. It's not as much spiritual as it's, hey, I'm Paul, I started this thing, I'm called, I have the apostolic covering, and these clowns are trying to undermine me and deceive you and take you away. That's the heart behind this. That's the argument. That's the fortress. Okay, we continue. He will not do this with the flesh. This is how Paul talks. Paul understood things. He's deeper than I am. He says, he will not do this with the flesh for our weapons... For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but with the Holy Spirit who has divine power to destroy arguments and strongholds. That's a, that's a, that's a huge statement there. Okay, not, okay, I'll just keep moving on because I'll, I'll make some more sense here. This will end their disobedient thinking. That's the heart here. The, what he's really, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's trying to change the way they think. This will end their disobedient thinking and believing they will become obedient to the truth in Christ. Are you tracking? Everybody okay? We are okay? Okay, so I, I, I just think we have to understand that what he was doing, this is, this, is, this is what his heart is. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Paul understood how to fight. And I'm going to talk about the divine power in a minute if you want to. I, I, I wrestled with this. I pray. Corinthians actually comes out of the beginning and starts talking about power. Starts talking about peace. Like these other guys, they come, but who comes with power? And I'm always like, God, what are you talking about here? You know, as a charismatic kid growing up, I thought power meant whoever I pray for gets healed. I thought power meant that I can, that I can swing the, the, the will of God by my faith. I thought that was the power. 42, spending some time with the Lord, been doing some ministry and realizing that's not the power he's talking about. 
I'm going to come back. Just sit on that thought. Hopefully I'm making some sense and just not confusing the crap out of you. My brain struggles with this kind of stuff. Just, so if you're struggling, just tune me out, and I'll get you back in the next point. Um, <laughs> Piper is going to say it this way, and I think John Piper is a good guy to listen to. I read his article on this. How do we apply these verses to our lives? This is, this is uh, he had a lady send basically how I viewed it. I want to take these, cast down my heart. How do I deal with me? And he basically corrected her thinking and says, this text was not for that. This text was Paul straightening her out. But it is still applicable. And that's where I want you all to hear this. This next section, this scripture should speak to you in a different way than what I have understood it. Okay, get yourselves in the right place in the text, Piper says. The place we belong in the, is, is in the first group whose opinions and thoughts Paul is trying to demolish. When you read this, you're the one with the mind that, and you got the strongholds. You and I, right? Think like that. And he says, whose opinions and thoughts Paul's trying to demolish. Okay, Paul, here I am. Do your demolishing work on me. Do your captive taking work on me. Destroy in my mind any false or proud thoughts I have about God. Okay? We should submit all our thoughts and ideas and feelings about God and about life to Paul's teaching for scrutiny. Do you guys see what this happened in here? This isn't just a spiritual warfare conversation. This is a Bible conversation. We are lucky to have tons of Paul's teachings. We are fortunate to have them, to form our faith, to form our belief, to form us as Christians. We have it, letter upon letter, let alone 1st, 2nd Corinthians. Got Galatians coming up. He did that. We got Ephesians. Right? And on and on and on. You have Paul's teaching, Paul pouring into you. And let me ask you something. When you read the Bible, do you read the Bible like that? Like, do we ask that question? Like, dismantle my wrong thinking. Bring down my strongholds. How do I think and how is it wrong? Will you change that, Lord? Okay? Because that's what we're saying. Do we read or listen to, uh, to, and study Paul's writings like this with this heart? Because we're supposed to. That's huge because that puts emphasis on the word. It puts emphasis on this. So I need to know it. I need to learn it. I need to sit in front of people that know it and teach it and teach it right. And I need to grow in it and I need to change the way I think because that, that apostolic teaching is there. That leadership is there, okay? Divine power, the way we warfare. The divine power, the way we warfare. Paul says, or, or Piper says it this way. I know that mere intellect will not dismantle the deeply rooted errors in my mind. So I avail myself, I open myself to the Holy Spirit and seek your face. See, when you get into some different camps of Christians, it's about intellect. It's about the smartest guy in the room. It's about who understands the, this Greek and Hebrew and all that. Paul is trying to really undercut that, and I really believe that. He's not interested in that. He's not. There's a, there's a simplicity that is in Christ. Even if you go back to early Corinthians, he came and he preached Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. This is where I'm going with this. And I get, if you forgot all the other stuff, listen to this. The divine X factor. This is Jeremiah now, not, <laughs> not Piper or Paul. Divine X factor. The Holy Spirit's power in, in and through the work of Jesus Christ transforms us. You don't just get knowledge or intellect, and this will set you free. You get changed. You get redeemed. You get made new. You get a new nature. 
This is the power. This is the power. What I'm saying is this. There's, you could fill your head with all sorts of study. And Paul knew that knowing a lot of the right answers is not what you need. You need to sit in front of the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I repent of my sin. Take me. Save me. Deliver me. And there's a power in that that no intellect, no intelligence, no smart book writing, high degree people can understand. There's no answer. If it's for the simplest of child to the most brilliant of men, that's the power. It's the power in Christ. It's the power in him. And that's why he says, I, I, you know what? That's Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. Amen? Do you guys feel that? Doesn't that set you free? You're like, I don't have to know everything. I just know that Jesus is everything. He did it and he did it for you and he did it for me. That's the power. And I think no other religion, let's just talk about it for a minute because it's good. No other religion offers that. You got to earn it. You got to go here. You got to do, 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 This one says you come to Jesus. Jesus makes you new. Well, wait a minute. I got to do better. No, Jesus made you new. So you will do better. What? I mean, I mean, it works, right? I got to, I got to get going. No, his works, his righteousness put on you. The problem is we don't receive it. We don't understand it. We still think in those past ways. That's the power of the gospel. That's the good news at its core. And that's what Paul, he could sit and talk deep. He could sit and argue. He did this. But with these guys, no, I come and I preach Christ and Christ crucified. That's the power into salvation. It's foolishness to them that are, that are saved. But to us, it's the power of salvation. That's what we live on. That's why we keep going back. That's why you hear us often and often and often. We preach all this stuff. Then we come back, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And you're gonna keep hearing it because it's him. It's who he, did, who he is. It's what he did in your life. Don't make a lot of noise on that, okay? I mean, you didn't have to literally make a lot of noise, but thank you. Woo! I mean, gosh, when I saw that, I said that. And he's like, it's Jesus, it's power. Wonder-working power that transforms us. And so right now, you gotta hear me. If you're deep, dark, in sin, there's a power that will change you you don't have to get out of that sin or try to figure out six steps and wait. You got to talk to him and you got to get that stronghold. You say, Lord Jesus, I can't beat this. I'm a sinner and I need saved. And I hear that you have power. Change me, transform me. This Bible's packed full of people that were screw ups, mess ups, and then they start doing great things. Paul himself. That's the transforming power. It's transforming. You have a call and a purpose. You will be transformed through the power of the Lord. All right. Oh, I could just stop there. Maybe I should. There's power in Jesus. Lord, help us never miss that. Help us not to overlook that. Help us not to add to that. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I ask that everyone in here, this room would understand that the power, the freedom, the hope that they need is in you and you alone. Not more studying, not more, not more knowing, not more reading, but it's just you. Let them receive that, Lord. Let us receive that, Lord Jesus. Change us through that reality. Who are you to us? You're everything, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, my last and final point, and I will close with this. Woo! I'm sweating. Is number four. 
because I've pastored some people and I've watched this happen and it, it's about as painful as anything. When you love people and they wander away or start believing crazy, some of you have kids that don't love Jesus and it breaks your heart. And I have kids that, that are working their salvation out. They do love Jesus. I thank, thank God for it and I had wonderful conversations. I'm not gonna go. He's in here. <laughs> but it hurts, doesn't it? It breaks your heart when those kids, you know they know better, and they're living a life of sin and running after this and doing that, and it hurts. And there's a grace for that. I think in our church, sometimes you feel like a bad parent. You feel like, what did I do wrong? You hear all that nonsense, and I just want you to hear today. Don't think like that. Join us in praying. We'll ask God to work on them, that they will come back, that they will repent. He is pretty good at getting people to come back. It's the time that they're out there is hard. I've watched God save my brother, who was pretty gone. So I, I've watched God save some people that I ministered to. Ten years goes by, they're back to following him. But this is a painful reality of following the Lord, and it never gets easy, and it will never get fun, and it will break our hearts, and lots of tears and hurt and anguish will come from this. But it is, be careful. 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 6. I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you. There's a beauty, man, this guy. I feel a divine jealousy for you. Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. See, that he's the father. He said, hey, guys, this is Jesus. They repented, gave their life to Jesus, and he got to be a part of that. And I've got to be a part of that with quite a few people in the ministry God has given me. And it's a beautiful place, and I love it. I love it. Thank you, Jesus. Give me more. Um, but so he says, I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ, right? That's their salvation. That's how he talks. Verse 3, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Guys, Genesis 3 talks about Eve and the devil. And I believe it's Genesis 3. He, he shows up on the scene, and he starts to say stuff like, did God really say? Now, everybody in this room, let me tell you something. You hear the devil. You, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you, the devil is he's a real guy. And he is a deceiver and a liar and he hates you, and he hates God, and he hates, and so make no mistake about it. One thing that he did to the Corinthians, he's doing to the Cobblestonians. I don't think that's a thing, but he's doing it, guys, is he is trying to deceive you, just like he tried to deceive Eve, and you know how he did it with Eve, what Paul's referencing here? He said, did God really say? Did God really say? God said, don't eat that fruit, don't eat of that tree. Well, did God, God just doesn't want you to be like him. That's the deceiver. So right now, there are people in Christian circles that question, did God really say? And they have clear text, and they're questioning it. And it makes me sick, and it makes me sad, because there's people that teach that trash. And it makes me sad when I love someone, and I know they know God. Next thing you know, they're believing in a lifestyle, or believing in a thing that the Bible's clearly against. And they're saying, oh no, I'm in this church, and they accept me, and they love me, and they're for me. And all I want to say is, that's the devil! It's deception! It's a lie! God have mercy. And it sucks to see that. And it breaks your heart 
to see that. And if you pastor for any amount of time, you will see that. And you will never, and you should never, it should never just get cold and callous and you don't care. Okay, that's what happened. And then he says this, this is scary talk. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, oh, I thought one Jesus is the only Jesus. There's another Jesus. This is just a few thoughts for Jeremiah. A Jesus who doesn't call you to repentance is not Jesus. Did you hear me, church? A Jesus that does not call you to repentance. A Jesus that looks at you and says, just stay how you are, live how you are, never turn, never repent. That is not him. That's a false Jesus. That's one that's well, like, Jesus, he just love. Love and truth. Truth and love. Grace and truth. Jesus will always be the guy that looks at you and says, I love you right where you're at. I don't care. There is no sin too big for Jesus. Hear me on that. There's no f- too far for Jesus. But make no mistake about it. Jesus will call you to repent and be born again and follow him and pick up your cross. That's gospel. The rest of that stuff is not. Self-help, feel good, right where you're at, throw it away. It's another Jesus. Jesus who requires works to be saved. Hear me. Paul addresses this in the next, next book, Galatians. They're starting to be like, oh, the Jews get in their head. They start saying, Jesus who requires works. Good Christian, bad Christian. What's that? By faith alone in him. If, that's, uh, if you have a Jesus that, that you've been living, like, well, he needs me to be, the, it's works-based. That's not Jesus. Another Jesus. These are just a thought few. There's many more. Uh, Jesus, who is not the only way to God. This guy is real. Well, he's just one of the deities. He's just one of the gods that gets you to heaven. There's many. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus takes himself out of that one. Jesus actually stomps on that junk and says, not on my watch. Be careful of these things. Paul is warning them, guys. You need warned. You need to warn your friends. We have to live alert because not every YouTube under Jesus preacher is good. Not every church in this town is good. Not every church in Brookville that talks about Jesus is good. You have to learn to discern, to know, to believe this. Paul's letters. That's what I would say to you. Read Paul's letters and see. If you you say, I gotta go to another church. I got to find another church because I'm going to Kansas or whatever. Then find a church that believes this, follows this, and submits to this. Are they going to be messed up? Yes. Are they going to have problems? Absolutely. They're going to be a lot like cobblestone. But, <laughs> but they're going to love you. They're going to challenge you. They're going to say sin, sin. They're going to talk about repentance. They're going to talk about the things of God and the power of Christ. Amen? Okay. Let me, let me finish. And then we're done. Whew. We just, uh, gosh, not even in that right. Man, I've had fun today with you guys. Can I, can I just thank you for being patient. I know I've talked a little long, but whew, by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray. That's what I wanted to, where's the war when your thoughts, remember the battle, the stronghold, the argument that's in your head. That's where it starts, guys. Can God really be loving and then this many people can You'll, it will mess you up, and we all struggle with that. I've been in there. I'm working stuff out right now, always asking the Lord. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit. This is where it gets a little even scarier. Different Jesus, now we're talking a different spirit. What's that mean? I'm guessing it means a different spirit, Right? Right? And I think the different spirit he's talking about is not the Holy Spirit. 
I'm guessing this different spirit might even act a little bit like the Holy Spirit. I'm guessing this different spirit takes on a little bit of, well, look, it was a great night. We had a lot of Holy Spirit. But were, was Jesus there or was it another Jesus? Be careful. We have to be careful with this. I know people that are going to churches that preach another Jesus and have other spirits. I don't know what I know that, but it's, it's real. Okay? And received, and if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted and you put up with it readily enough, indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles, these guys who are preaching crazy. If, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. All right, uh, worship team, you guys can come. We're, we're going to land it. We got to get out of here. We got three minutes. I don't know. I just, I just love you. Your elders love you. Jesus loves you. And we don't want you to be deceived. And we live in a time where deception is around every corner. And it scares me. It does. I feel that. I worry. So let's just pray. Lord, uh, will you just right now work on everyone in this room that might be being deceived? We'll start there. Lord, the ones that just, they're buying something that is not you. They're, they're believing something that is a lie. And maybe it is a false Jesus. Maybe it's a false spirit. And I'll just take authority and say, in the name of Jesus, we bind up those false spirits, those deceptive powers that the, the devil, we pray against that. We know we have some authority, Lord, over that stuff. So free your people. Help us to see very clearly. Help us to know very clearly who you are and, and, and to follow you with a pure, sincere devotion. Clean house, continue clean house in our hearts and in this church. Lord, I ask that you would just lead us. I ask that you would bless my brothers and sisters. I ask, Lord, that we could feel loved like the Corinthians were loved. And that, Lord, we have our place and our purposes here. What do you want to do with this church? Do it. Where do you want to take us, Lord? Take us. What do you want to show us? Show us. We are captivated by you. We are hungry for you. We are desperate for you. Lord, as we go and get into our lives this week, help us to see you clearer, to know you better, Lord. Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week and God bless.